0: Last week we looked at uh, verse 2 and it says, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. And we we said that the attitude, the main point, the attitude that we are to have in trials is joy. It's not a feeling, but a learned, disciplined mindset toward our trials. And we said that that this because God is sovereign. We can have this attitude of joy because God is sovereign. And and, uh, Friday uh, we were we were bad parents and we took our kids out of school and we, we thought we'd be uh, good to them and, and take them to Disney. We had one day left on a pass that we had and 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 we should have turned around about five minutes after we left the house. We You just knew it was going to be. You ever had one of those days where you're like, it should be better. Just stop, cut our losses. Let's just head back to the house. Um, we we forgot Bradley's shoes. He had spent the night with Barbara. If we forgot his shoes. We had to turn around and go back and get his shoes. All he had was cleats and so now we're late, and then as we're driving this thing and this boat in front of us, the wheel fly, whole wheel flies off the axle right in front of my car, slam on brakes, barely avoid that accident, it hits the, so I think I can go again. It hits the curb, goes back across. I thought, Karen, can we just, let's just, this is not going well. Then on I-4... I, I go to go around a car, and you, 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 ever have, you go around it, and you see this stuff in front of you, and you're like, there's no way, I, I, can't, I can't avoid that. There's, we're all going 100 miles an hour on I-4. I think that is the speed limit. And, uh, you know, the stuff is in front of me, and, and I hit it, and I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. Of course, all these lights start lighting up on the dashboard about tire pressure and this and that. I'm like, whatever. Come on, give me Karen. Get some tape. Cover these things up. So we're driving. I'm like, oh, please just let us let. If it's gonna deflate, let it deflate while we're in Disney, not out. Of course, then you hear like five minutes later, oh, flat tire. On the, I'm thinking, what in the world? This is not. This. Our kids are thinking, are we getting there? I, I don't know. So we're gonna teach on something more joyful. Next time, then James. Um, and then you got to wait an hour in line to ride a ride that takes about 45 seconds. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I mean, and we pay for this. Like, we pay to do this to ourselves. But I, I, when we got home that night, I just thought, I was said, pray, thank you, Lord. Seriously, thank you, Lord, that we made it home safe i mean i'm going about 50 miles an hour getting yelled out on i4 on the way back because i got this tiny little spare that i'm not confident should be on a bicycle never mind a (laughs) 25,000 pound van you know i'm thinking that joker ain't supposed to go more than about 20 miles an hour i'm trying to go 50 people are yelling at me and honking i'm like i just want to get home but joy i didn't say a word the whole time the whole even while we were there we're waiting for this parade and this lady comes up and Starts pushing us closer and closer. Her kids are weaseling in front of me, and then she's mad at me and yelling at me because I'm crowding her child. I'm thinking, your child's not even supposed to be here. I was here. My kids were here. You're pushing my kid into the garbage can. No, your kid just climbed into the garbage can. and it's like Karen's like, Chris, it's not worth it. No, it's worth it. This is my spot. <laughs> this is my spot. Been waiting here for 20 minutes for this parade. It's worth it. I don't care what James says, you know, I'm looking around, I don't see nobody from Odessa here, get out the way, get out the way, you know, I hate, I told Karen, I said, I, I say this jokingly, I hate being a pastor sometimes, I feel that pressure to be good all the time, my flesh wanted to tell her exactly what had happened, I'm like, Karen saying, Chris, calm down, you hush, get behind me, get out of here, I'm going to deal with this, so, uh, so today, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth today, so, uh, but today is a continuation, and I again, as as I was battling through that, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. And and I say that not to, if that's the worst thing that ever happened to me and my family, I'd say we're all right. And I, and I say that jokingly, because I know that there are many here who have gone through, are going through a whole lot worse. And so, but the point, as we saw last week, and the point we're building on this week is that We know from the word of God that no circumstance, no trial will ever be wasted. God doesn't waste circumstances. He doesn't waste trials. He doesn't waste experiences. He uses them. He uses them in our lives. He uses them in other people's lives. 2 Corinthians 1.3, comfort others with the comfort that you've been comforted with. God has graciously and faithfully walked many of us through some things, and it may have more to do with you walking somebody else through it than just what you're walking through. And we've got to remember that, that we can have joy in trials. And today, as, as Paul Harvey would say, we're kind of going to start looking at the rest of the story. We looked at verse 2, and the last week the main point again was you can have joy because we serve a sovereign God. Today, the main point, what I want to build on, what I want to, you walk away and we'll have some points under this, but we can have an attitude of joy, not only because God is sovereign over our trials, but we can have an attitude of, God, of joy because God is using our trials to mature us as believers. To mature us as believers. Growth, development. God is up to something, Th- these things are not wasted. These things are not, they're not wasted on us. Trials are not wasted on us. They're not pointless. God uses them to grow us. Beneficial results in our walk with the Lord are coming about. All kinds of things. I, I haven't prayed on my trip to Orlando or back like I prayed Friday. You know, I just jump in the car and just think, hey, you know, everything's going to go well. It didn't go well. I was grateful that night. About 11.45, when I laid my head on the pillow, I was so thankful to just be home. But trials in and of themselves are not occasions for joy. I got up Saturday morning, Coach Bradley's game, had to go buy a new tire. Not any, I didn't just joyfully, I'm so excited to be paying for this brand new tire. Tire that only had about 12,000 miles on it to begin with. I'd love to start over and buy a new one. No. The, the, it wasn't an occasion for joy in and of itself. But it was an occasion of joy because I got to talk with Carlos who came to fix my tire about the Lord. It wasn't joy because I got to meet some people at the tire store and talk with them. God did redeem it. And the thing about my life and the thing I have to realize is this. Are those, is sharing the gospel with those people worth my struggle? I, God would say certainly it is. My flesh sometimes would say no. But God would say absolutely they are. And, and trials mature us. They mature us, and that's what I want us to see today. And they mature us in in three ways that I believe James in verses three and four tell us. Number one, God matures our faith through trials. God matures our faith through trials. James, James holds no punches here. He doesn't. He doesn't talk about if you face trials. He says when you face trials. James is not pretending here. To, to, to feel one thing that, that's not. He's not saying pretend. He's not saying act like it's not. He says, no, consider it. The word knowing in verse 3 is the same word that is that James interprets consider in verse 2. Both are imperatives, meaning they're a command. This is a learned trait. It's a characteristic. It's something that we as Christians grow into, that we develop. We, lo- we begin to learn to look at things a different way way we see more than what is on the surface that's what he's saying the maturity a different perspective we we learn to trust the fact that god is sovereign he is sovereign and and as we said last week james is not dealing with here on whether you have faith or not he's dealing with the content of our faith he is writing to believers they are believers these are jewish christians who are looking at the world through their Jewish Christian heritage and theology, and things aren't lining up. They're not making sense. Their theology about God, hey, we're a people of God, why are we suffering? In that day, again, as we said last week, they would have assumed, hey, you're suffering, it's because of sin. You see that in the book of Job. You see that in John 9, the man born blind. Hey, who sinned, the disciples say. Did this man sin or his mother sin? They attached suffering to, to sin. And what James is teaching them is that's not always the case. God's up to something. He's sovereign. God's economy is a lot different than the world's economy. And what James is dealing with is the content of our faith. And again, the, the trials that James mentions, you see on your handout, they're not out to prove your faith. They're out to refine your faith, to refine your faith. You see it in James two one. eventually in Five years, we'll get there. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. They're mixing in wrong attitudes with their faith. Their faith is not pure. It needs to be refined. Bad the- All of us have things of the world, sayings of the world, bad theology that are mixed in with our true theology, and God's got to burn those things off, get those things out. And that's the point behind the testing sometimes, to refine, to mature our faith. You, you you can look at Romans twelve three and it says that every saint Paul says that each God has given to each a measure of faith. But he says, "Do not think there." He says, "Each of you ought not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought." I, if we're honest, that's all of our struggle. Through though the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think is to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. We tend to think of ourselves more than we are. We tend to think we're stronger, more mature, better than we are. And God uses trials to reveal who we are, to reveal the real Chris. I read the quote this week. Listen to it. It says, affliction lets down a blazing torch for man into the depths of his own nature. And man sees many things which he little expected to see. He sees his faith weak where he thought it strong, his views dim where he thought them clear. Trials reveal that. The faith that we thought was strong, all of a sudden we're shaken to the core. Convictions that we thought we had, all of a sudden they're They're negotiable. God reveals, God reveals the content of our faith through trials, what we're really believing in. I, I, you remember we studied Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8.2. Moses wrote, you shall remember all the way that the Lord has led you through the wilderness in this 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. See, God knew what was in their heart. He knew what their heart was made of. God didn't do this so he would discover, oh, I wonder what's in their heart. He knew. The problem is the Israelites didn't know what was in their heart. They thought they were something that they weren't. They thought that their faith was stronger than it was. And so God graciously and sovereignly takes us through trials, allows us to walk through trials, to reveal to us what is in our hearts, to prune us, to mold us, to shape us. Look, look with me at First Peter 1, six and seven. We, we memorized it a, a few weeks back. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Listen, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see the value? Do you see the point? Our faith is precious. Its sincerity, its genuineness, is valuable, and trials prove this. Trials mature our faith; they grow us. They prove what's down in the well. John Piper, I I love to read John Piper. I, I love to, to listen to John Piper when I have time. He he illustrated this beautifully, and, and I want to share it. I want to share it with you. He said, "It, it, it taught me, and and I, and I pray it'll teach you." He said, "Imagine that you're do you, imagine that you are a peer." stretching out over the ocean. Just as every pier rests on pilings, so our lives rest on pilings, such as health, job, money, friends. All those are the things that truly give us joy and security. But when you were saved, you saw that only Jesus Christ could give you the joy and security you craved, and you invited Him to be the super piling of your life. As you rested your weight on Him, you found that He was strong and solid. You felt security and peace like you'd never known. But even though most of our weight is resting on Jesus Christ, some of our security and satisfaction still rests on other pilings, like health and employment and friendships and money. To the extent that we rest on other pilings, we will have less security and joy in Jesus Christ. So in great love and great wisdom, God sends trials storm waves, against our peer. Every trial that comes our way shakes a piling that we rest on. Maybe a strange pain in your side shakes the piling of health. Or rumors of layoffs shake the piling of employment. Or an awkward conversation shakes the piling of friendships. When these other pilings get shaken, that reminds us that Jesus Christ cannot be shaken. He is the super piling. And when we see that, We take whatever security and satisfaction we had resting on other pilings and we put it onto Jesus Christ, relying on Him more and more. That's why God sends trials to help us see the weakness of other pilings so that we will take our trust off of other pilings and place it more and more among Jesus Christ. I think that's a clear picture of what God is doing to our faith through trials. We, we, are, we, we rest our lives on a lot of different things, and God in His great grace is saying, look, the only sure, the only permanent, the only foundation, the only piling that's built on the rock is the one built on me. And all these others are false pilings that are going to collapse under the weight of this world. And in God's grace, through trials, He reveals what we're truly building our life upon. He reveals what we're truly trusting in. And one by one, through the storms, through the waves, God just removes works on these other pilings that we're trusting in. The less we rely on these other pilings, the more, and the more we rely on Jesus Christ, the more security, the more joy that we will have. The the greatest need in all of our lives, the greatest need, the thing that would change my life, the thing that would change your life more than anything else is to simply believe on Jesus Christ. Faith. That's why we see in Mark 9 a a beautiful, very humble picture of a man whose son is is gravely ill, and he says, If you have faith, I, I will heal him. That man says, Lord, I believe. You know what he says, though? Help my unbelief. One of the greatest prayers, one of the most honest, vulnerable prayers any of us in here could pray is, Lord, I do believe, but there are areas of my life that I'm not believing. There's areas of my life that I'm building on false pilings of this world. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And God, through trials, matures our faith. We learn that He is trustworthy. We learn that He is faithful. We learn that He will never leave Nor forsake. We learn that His mercy is enough. We learn that His grace is sufficient. But we learn that through trials. He matures our faith. Not only does He mature our faith, but God matures our endurance through trials. Look what He says Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, it's a process. Growing us into the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ is a process. It's not that we get saved and all of a sudden we look like Him. You you look at Romans 8, 28, and 29. He predestined those to be conformed to His image. What God is doing in your life and my life is conforming us to the image of our Savior. But it takes time. It's a process. And and we take a test, and we take a test, and we take a test. The word produces here literally is a continual process. It, It points to a work that will be continued until the desired conclusion is reached. And that is why we need endurance. That, that is why we need perseverance. The, the word endurance there, it literally means to remain under. To remain under. It, it paints the picture of somebody being under a heavy load and resolutely stays there instead of trying to escape. Look, listen to that. In 2 Corinthians 1.6, what Paul writes, But if we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Patient enduring. That's that's the word here. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1.4. It should come up on the screens. Therefore, we ourselves, Paul writes, speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain, verse 5, indication of God's righteous judgment so you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Patient, Enduring. The word here is not a passive attitude, it's not a, it's not a resignation, it's a brave attitude. It is a settled conviction that confronts our difficulties and contends against them. It's not just to sit back and I guess that's just my lot and I got God. No. It's a bold conviction about who God is. It's a brave attitude. It's a settled conviction that confronts the trials. This is a person, James writes, because of Jesus Christ, because of the truths of His Word, because of all the promises, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. We take our trials and we confront them boldly and bravely built on the promises of God. This is not just to sit back and let go and let God, we boldly face them. It's a tenacity that holds up under the worst of criticisms. It's a boldness that faces whatever we face, knowing that God is faithful. What, what James is pointing to here, literally, it's staying power. The one thing that we lack as Americans is what? Staying power. We're very good at quitting. We're very good at doing easy things. We're very bad at doing hard things. And the one, as Christians, God wants us to have staying power. And He says, you know where it starts? It starts with your faith. Of central importance is the content of your faith. It is foundational that you believe this word and you believe accurately. Again, last week, their bad theology toward trials resulted in a bad way of facing, an incorrect way of facing trials. We need sound theology. We need to think rightly so that we will live rightly. It's the same thing Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians 1558 he says therefore my beloved because of all these promises because of everything god has done look what paul says specifically the resurrection therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your toil is not in vain he's built on promises it's built on truth muscles, muscles in the same way, clearly I don't understand this, I, I, I try not to do this, but muscles, they say muscles get stronger with resistance. Clearly I'm not running that route. But, but, but you put a lot of weight on and you learn to push it off. And your muscles grow and they grow and they grow. Clearly I'm the guy that says that looks hard, I'll just walk out of the gym. I'll, go, I'll be over here, y'all find me. But Christians, listen, Christians learn to remain faithful to God over the long haul when they face difficulty. We learn to remain faithful. And God knows this. In order for us to accept this, embrace this, and carry this with us this attitude of joy, we have got to learn to, to adopt a God-centered perspective of life and of trials. A God-centered, not a Chris's happiness-centered, a God-centered perspective of life, and trials. And here's what I mean by this. Here's what James is writing. And, I, and I, he, I think this is what James means. When trials come, what does your flesh seek? You know what my flesh wants to do? Just get out of it as soon as possible. Our flesh, when trials come, our flesh simply says, how do I get out of this as quickly as possible? How do I, how do I stop it? How do I end it? Just end it. I don't care what it takes. End it. If it means run, we run. If it means quit, quit. If it means cheat, cheat. If it means lie, lie, just get it over with. Again, the, what's the world's philosophy? The ends justify the what? I guarantee you that bad theology is affecting us. I guarantee as Christians, whatever it takes, just get out. And hear me, what James is saying is, if the goal is simply to fix our circumstances if that's our perspective, just fix my circumstances, then trials will never, ever, ever produce the joy that James is writing about here. Our circumstances, listen, our circumstances will rarely ever be what we want them to be on this side of eternity. Let's be honest. Rarely ever do we achieve that just utopian spot where you're like, hey, if I could just press pause right here. The kids are well behaved. their, Their grades are good. Their, their citizenship is good. There's stuff in the bank. Rarely. Rarely. Life is one trial after another. And, and, and so, if, listen, rarely can we fix our circumstances so that we get them to be where we want to be either. So, rarely are they where they want them to be, and rarely do we have the power to get them to where they want to be because there's a lot of things that are out of my control. And, and so the joy for the believer, listen, what James is saying is joy for the believer is not based on circumstances. Joy for the believer is in spite of circumstances. In spite of the circumstance. And that's where he's saying if, if it simply fixed the circumstances, that's not biblical joy. But if our goal is aligned with God's goal in seeking to know Him and be intimate and fellowship and, and His likeness and His character we won't try to pull the eject cord immediately, but we'll remain under the trial. We'll do the hard work. And it's, that's the mindset where we can have joy in trials because we have a God perspective to the trials. Our faith allows us to walk through the trials. We understand that we have our service, sovereign God who is not wasting anything that we go through, that he is sovereign over the trial. And not only that, he's doing something in the trial. Let's look at Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And, we, and not only this, Paul writes, but we exult in our tribulations, joy. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Here's, the, here's why I read that. Paul provides the whole link, the whole process of what God is doing through trials. You notice what James does? James stops it short at Endurance. It's the same same process, he says, brings about perseverance. James says, stop there for a second. Stop there at perseverance. Here's why James inserts the word, you notice what he says? He says in verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result so that it may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There is a tremendous amount of truth and application here in that simple three letter word, let. This is a command. That is a command he's saying there. He is basically saying everything else in the process depends on your endurance. Everything else in the process is built upon the fact that you persevere. And what James is guarding at, he's saying all that stuff Paul wrote about in Romans 5, proven character and and proven character hope, you're not going to get any of that unless you persevere. You pull the eject cord... If your your goal is simply to fix your circumstances, you're not going to get the proven character and you're not going to get the hope. If we do not carry things out, if we don't remain under, we are not allowing God to do His work in our lives. We're not learning what God wants us to learn. We're not doing what He wants us to do. We're not growing. Our maturity will be incomplete. You don't learn character by quitting. You don't learn character by just getting out. You learn it by enduring. You don't develop hope by quitting. You develop hope by remaining under. And, and this is where I said a couple weeks ago, it, throughout James, there is the constant battle. Are we going to live our lives based on earthly wisdom? Or are we going to live our lives based on godly wisdom? And we'll deal with that specifically in chapter 3, verses 15 and 17. Earthly wisdom, earthly wisdom, our flesh, our flesh only wants to get out as quickly as possible. This is the battle on you and I all the time. Just get out as quickly as possible. That's what my flesh says just end it. Just get things back to normal. I don't care what it takes, just get it back. You know what godly wisdom says? God wants us to remain in the trial until we get out of it all that God intends. And there's a battle going on in our heart. It's like a child. We've all been there. I I feel like I look, as I was talking about this, I feel like my High school days, this is what it was built on. It's like a child who simply wants to memorize the material in order to pass the test and get it over with versus really learning the material. So many tests in my days, I would look back like a week later, I don't even know what was on that test. I crammed a bunch of information in my mind simply to pass the test and do what I needed to do, and then I moved on. You know what? I did not learn the material. I did not grow from the class. And and again... Why? Because we didn't learn. We took shortcuts. We cheated. And and, and again, how many times in our lives do you think that we didn't learn the lesson from the trial because all we wanted to do was get out of it? It's like the, the parent who says to the kid, they'll never learn. They'll never learn. You know why? Because either we're enabling them or they're quitting. They haven't learned the test. And you know what happens down the road? Surprisingly, find ourselves in the same same trial. You know why? Because we didn't learn that we didn't learn. God's still got to refine our character. We didn't learn the lesson. A, Mal, a, a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge. Now that would be the trial for me right there. Growing up with the name Malcolm Muggeridge. If you know him, forgive me. That would be a trial. He says contrary, contrary to what might be. He's a great godly man. Uh, I'm kidding about him. I'll spend eternity apologizing for saying that to him. Contrary to what might be expected, he says, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. You know where we learn life's lessons? You know where we learn and we grow the most? It's in affliction. It's in affliction. It's not sitting on the beach, everything going well. That's not how we're molded into Christ's likeness. And Jesus was very honest with his followers. They hated me. Guess what they're going to do to you? Hate you. They persecuted me. You know what you can expect? Persecution. Paul said the same thing. 2 Timothy 3.12. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will have their best life now. He says we'll be persecuted. Persecuted. Here's, here's what awaits, believer. Persecution. But, but have, a different, have a godly perspective. You know what awaits beyond that? An eternity that says this. No matter what you face here on this life, it'll pale in comparison to what God has in store. No eye has seen nor ear has heard the greatness of what the Lord has in store for you. Godly perspective. But it's going to be, James says, it's going to be through endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. God is up to something. Look, look with me at First Corinthians ten thirteen. It should come up on the screen there. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Look at what Paul says. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Do you see, you see what God's escape is? God's escape is endurance. He gives you the grace to endure it. He doesn't give you the grace to stop it. He says to endure it. God, God's grace says, I'll give you the grace to walk through it. Same thing he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Take this thorn, take this thorn, take this thorn. You know what his answer was? My grace is sufficient. I gave this to you, Paul, to keep you from exalting yourself. My grace is sufficient. The escape is walking through the trial and learning the lesson. It's perseverance. And God is faithful to help us with this. We would rather it end. And again, I say this and hold to my prayer. I know the trial. I know the trials that many of you are facing. And, and, And hear this as an encouragement. Hang in there. God is up to something. And no matter matter what we've done, God is up to something. He's using it. We, We would rather end the trial, but we would miss on the maturity. Listen to me. What James is saying, what Paul is saying, what other writers throughout Scripture are saying this. Trials are doorways to God's grace. They're doorways. Grace comes rushing into our lives through trials. We gradually become more and more dependent on other things And God graciously draws us back to himself and says, trust in me, I'm sufficient. And we discover, we discover what we're truly living for through trials. We become slaves to whatever we're counting on, whatever we're trusting on, slavery. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. You understand what that freedom means? That freedom means I've come to set you free from trusting in lesser things. I've come to set you free from building your life on things that don't last. I've come to set you free from building your life on the lesser things. I want you to build my life, your life on me, the greatest thing. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. I know God. Salvation, I have a relationship with God. The one true God. And trials, again, they teach us in ways that nothing else can. I think we would all agree. And God, not only in trials is He maturing our faith, but He's maturing our endurance. And lastly, here, last thing Paul says, I mean, James says, and and, and Paul says in Romans 5, God matures our character through trials. He matures our character through trials. And I think that's what James is saying in verse 4 let endurance have its perfect result. What is that, James? so that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word there, the word there, literally means mature. It means mature. Perseverance is not the final goal in trials. Our character is the final goal. That's exactly what Paul said. Let perseverance produce proven character and proven character hope. The goal through trials is that we would have a character that reflects the the character of our Heavenly Father. See, trials in many ways. You ever met somebody? You ever met somebody that was sick but didn't know they were sick? You ever met somebody that really needed help but didn't, wouldn't acknowledge they need help? See, that, that, that's what God deals with in every single one of us. We, we need intervention, we need Him to step in and, and help us, but we, we just don't realize we need help. And when you have a friend like that, sometimes you've got to intervene. Sometimes you've got to jump on the scene and deal with it. And see, trials are interventions from God, again, to draw us out of the slavery that we don't know we're in. Slavery to lesser things. Slavery to trusting on things that are, that are not solid foundational things. And, and, and oftentimes, that's the true pain of a trial. The true pain of a trial is God prying open our hand and removing something that we're trusting in more than we're trusting in Him. Prying open our hand and removing something that we find more joy in than we find in Him. And what God is doing through a trial is literally surgery. Surgery not to hurt us, but surgery to set us free. Trial, Listen to me. Trials don't rob us of our joy. Idolatry robs us of, of our joy. It's idolatry. It's us loving other things. And when God pries that out of our of our hands, it's the idolatry that's 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 causing the pain because we've trusted in something other than God. We get angry and mad and frustrated because deep down, listen to me, and all of us, this is true for all of us. You know why I was mad? Part of the reason why I, now I say that deep down, but praise the Lord. We're in James 2, and I'm sitting on the side of that road, and I'm thinking, part of my flesh is thinking, I don't deserve this. Man, what did I do to deserve this? I'm being a good father here. I'm taking my kids to Disney World, giving them a day out of school. Man, I don't deserve this. If if we're honest, if we're honest, that's part of the struggle with trials. Deep down in places we don't know about, to quote a, a movie deep down in places you don't like to talk about at parties. We feel entitled to whatever it is we're losing. We feel entitled to whatever it is we're losing. I deserve that. I'm worthy of that. You, you can't take that from me. We, we believe, listen to me, in sinful humanity, we believe that we deserve more than we're getting. Let's be honest. We, deserve that we're, we believe that we deserve more than we're getting. And thus, we don't respond. We respond without joy when we don't get something that we think we deserve to get. Or when we lose something that we're holding on to more than God. Deep down in all of us, we think we deserve. Because guess what? I underestimate my sinfulness and I overestimate my self-righteousness. I think I'm worthy. I think I deserve. You know, God was wise in saving Chris Basham. Burnt. It's not good, and that's not true at all. We, 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 we think we deserve more than we, we, than we do, and sometimes that's the case. And God is teaching us about who we are. He's refining our character. And listen to me. If you don't walk away from anything else, listen to this. Maturity is not the result of the number of trials that a person encounters, but rather the way a person encounters the trials. Maturity is not developed by simply facing lots of trials. Maturity is developed in the way you face trials. You can go through a lot of trials and and, and miss it. It's the way that we encounter the trials. If we approach them only to get out, you're going to face a lot of trials. You're going to face them anyway, but you're going to go back to the same one. And God says, I want to walk you through the trials so that in the end result, your characters are fine. At the end of the day, you look more like me, sacrificial mercy, than you did at the beginning. Listen to me. Our being, our person, is the goal. Who we are is the goal. Who we are deep down is the goal. You know, a I, 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 whole way home, kids are falling asleep and Karen's asleep. I'm thinking, man, why, why did, why, why did I, my flesh react to that woman? Deep down, I felt like I deserved to be where I was. I'd earned it. I, it was self-righteousness. And the whole time, the whole time, you know what's ringing in my head? Sacrificial mercy. Sacrificial mercy. Sacrificial mercy. You know my flesh wanted to say? No, 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 no. No sacrificial mercy. Rights. I was here first. You know my, my argument to that woman was? She wanted to say they were here first. You know my flesh said? You were not here first. I was here first. I saw you when you dropped your kids off in front of me and they weaseled in between me and this garbage can to get this better spot. Is flesh, not sacrificial. I mean, the kid's only this tall. I can see over him. Well, Chris, what are you doing? Sacrificial mercy. Not, godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. See, the problem is deep down inside, there's still a lot of me that doesn't look like my Heavenly Father. And God says, I, by grace, I'm going to use these things to reveal that to you, Chris. And maturity, if you, if you wanted to look at a theme of James, maturity is a the theme of James. And he borrowed that from Jesus. We said almost all of James is from, from the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 48. Listen to this. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What did James say? Let endurance have its perfect results so that it may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. Look at 19, Matthew 19, verse 21 says, Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, same thing, go and sell your possessions and give all to the poor, that you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, you know what he did? He walked away sad. Why? Because deep down in the well he was trusting in things more than he was trusting in God. And, and all of this hints back to what Jesus said to the Pharisees, to, to, the, to his disciples about the Pharisees in Matthew 5.20. Really, this is a key verse In Matthew, if you wanted to say a key verse, 520, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Outwardly, nobody would surpass the scribes and Pharisees in their outward behavior. You know what Jesus said about inwardly? Inwardly, they're whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they look real good. Inwardly, they're dead. You know, God is showing us, he says, I don't... You you guys are worried about the externals. I'm worried about the internals. Because what's on the inside, guess what, is going to come out in the externals eventually. The Pharisees, they would have been outwardly, they would have looked outwardly righteous, but not inwardly. And and God is doing a work in us. He is refining us and forming us into His image. Luke 6, real quick. I apologize, We're, we're here too long. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Listen to this. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and even men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Sacrificial mercy. It reflects our Father. Listen to me. That God, God's ultimate goal through trials is to m- mature our faith so that our character reflects His character. Philippians 2, God is working out that which is in us. He says, verse 16, Hold fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But if even if I, Paul says, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. God wants to develop a full, mature believer in Jesus Christ. Don't don't look outside first when trials come. Understand what God is doing on the inside. Trials in that way can be windows into who we truly are. They're windows. It's like those little warning lights, again, that I had no idea what was going on, but that little warning light on the dashboard said, hey, you got a problem, you better pull over. They, They do that out of grace, that's good for me. Now, some of us, like I've said before, put a little piece of tape over that thing, and that's not good, but in that case, it said your tire is about to blow up. You better pull over. And God, through trials, is saying, look, your heart is not right. Your your whatever is not right. And He's refining it. And the bottom line is this trials can only bring joy when God is our goal. If circumstances are our goal, if wealth is our if, if earthly, fleshly, temporal things are our goal, trials will not bring joy, but they will bring joy if God is our goal. If you want more of God, if you want intimacy with God, trials can be a source of joy. And and I pray that we would be a people who allow God to do whatever He sees necessary in order that we would have a pure faith, mature lives. That that we would have undivided loyalty and devotion to our great Lord and Savior. And, And I pray that we would be a people that would be honest about who we are. Honest about what God is doing in our lives, that we would be a people that receives one another no matter what they've been through, no matter where they're going, no matter what they are going through. That knowing that God is at work in our lives. And I close with this. Ephesians, this would be my prayer for not only me, but for all of us. Paul says, For for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here's Paul's prayer that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. Listen, this Paul says, I wish, I pray that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God. At any moment in your life, do not doubt whether God loves you. Do not doubt whether God loves you. He loves you far beyond. it. If you're here today and not a believer in Jesus Christ, hear this. He loves you. The cross proves that. If you're here as a believer and maybe have wandered away, he loves you. Come back. Repent. If you're here and say, well, I have no, again, no relationship. Here's how it starts. Repent. Ask forgiveness. Admit your sinner. Repent and run to him. I pray that we would be a people that comprehends over time the depth of God's love for us, that even though we walk through trials, even if He takes us through trials, He loves us. And He loves us enough to shape us into His image and not allow us to stay where we are. I pray that we would be a people that would mature, be, that would allow God to mature us no matter what the cost. That we would walk through things and not just run from things. And that we would be a people who walks through things with each other and lets nobody walk through them alone.